Hey, hi, welcome back. My name is Scott Eastman. I'm here and you've joined us for a pastor and a rabbi walk into a cultural crisis. And we're talking about like the current climate of what's going on in our, I want to say our world today, but even just specifically in our nation today and maybe even in our faith uh, today. Joining me today are my friends, Pastor Sean Hennessy and then my friend, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg. And so uh, this is episode two of our limited series. And so when we left off last time, I was trying to get out because I had other stuff to do, but you guys just kept talking. There's no shutting you two up. And but The rabbi kept talking. Preacher, <laughs> preacher's got to preach, bro. Yeah. Preacher's got to preach. He's got a few thousand years worth of theology That's true. that he wants to yeah. try. spew out. You got to take it sure. all the way back yes. to the beginning. All right. In the beginning. Anyway, before we left, Sean, you had mentioned that like Jesus like loved everybody. Right? That's what I thought that I said. Yeah. And, but then the illustrious rabbi said, I said, but Jesus loved everybody. When and he everybody. said, actually, he didn't. But then what he came back and said to us was that, yes. he, that I had said, Jesus went to everybody. And right. he said, no, he didn't. So revisionist history. Yeah. So what we're saying is... It's such a Matt Rosenberg thing to do. Yes. Change history just to suit his... Yeah, well, we're taking them back to the original. Yeah. <laughs> OG. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. let's talk about that. The so OG. Whether we're talking about loved or talking about went, what do you mean by Jesus didn't go to everybody? What do you mean by that? There's very few instances in the three and a half year ministry that Jesus had that the Gospels records where he interacts with Gentiles at all. Um, all the vast majority of his interactions are with Jewish people. Because that's the mission. The mission was, you go back to the beginning, right? There's the covenant with Abraham, which we talked in the first episode about. Jesus is God. So when God makes covenants with people, it's Jesus making covenants with people. So when when the yud heh vav heh is the four consonants in Hebrew, which Christians often say Yahweh, and that's not really a Jewish thing to say because we don't actually pronounce the name intentionally, even if you could, because it's the Hebrew word is Hashem, which just means the name, because we're not even going to approach. It's very Harry Potter. His name, yeah. Well, right. Harry Potter is very. <laughs> but bi- I mean, like Bible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. it's like the, the name, name that, that can't be, be named. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the way we looked at. Uh, God, because it's not until Moses at Mount Sinai that he actually says a name. Remember when, you know the story in Genesis when Jacob wrestles the angel of the Lord mm-hmm. and, and he says, your name is now Israel. And Jacob says, what's your name? And he says, eh. <laughs> and he doesn't answer. Mm. Um, he just blesses him. Um, Can I pause you there for one second? Yeah. And this has nothing to do with race. We have to be careful that we stay in the race thing because yeah, that's yeah. why we're gathering together. Totally. Yeah. But I'm just fascinated by this point because for me, when the Bible refers to the angel of the Lord, yeah. like I feel like what you had said about how like when Moses saw the face of God on Mount Sinai, yeah. that it was the face of Christ. I feel like yeah. the angel of the Lord, yeah. probably Jesus, he too. No doubt. Yeah. Anytime it's yud heh vav heh, any... And he shows up in human form. It 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 has to be Yeshua. That's 
I mean, that's how we understand it. From I mean, I dig that because Testament. in my mind, right, it was always like yeah. a flaming. And this is why, the like, convers- it was Gabriel or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. But the conversations, like one of the conversations with the Pharisees, is he says, you know, I before Abraham was, I am, and they go, you're not even fifty. Yeah, um, and he's saying, Abraham didn't just dream of me, of the day that the Messiah would come. We know each other. Mm-hmm. So He made cakes for me. Right. So when yeah. the angel of the Lord shows up with two angels and they sit under an oak tree, mm-hmm. to me it's Yeshua. And they're literally having a face-to-face conversation, which means however Yeshua looked as an adult after in the incarnation, after he was born and grew, the way he looked as an adult is probably how he looked when Jacob wrestled him and when Abraham ate with him. And so is that how he's going to look when we... Had- encounter him for sure yeah except now he has scars right but so in theory and not to jump ahead of scott's questions yeah but one of the questions that you had was was jesus just jewish when he was on the earth or is he going to be jewish in perpetuity is he always right so one of your rebuttals to me was if you don't love jewish people and you want to go to heaven eternity is going to be pretty long yeah, because you're worshiping a Jewish guy. And you're going to enter through gates. Revelation says the gates of the New Jerusalem are the, the foundations of the gates are the 12 apostles who are all Jewish. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the gates themselves are the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have to walk through gates that are Jewish to worship a Jewish guy forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to hijack your thought line that you were on, yeah. but when you said that in the three and a half years of his ministry, Jesus very seldom interacted with with Gentile people, yeah. I think one of the things that gets perhaps misconstrued in the modern church is this idea of Samaritans and where yeah. Jesus went to the Samaritan because the Jews hated the Samaritans, but there is a Jewishness yeah. to the Samaritans. Yeah. But like when you said, but I should just let him answer, huh? But when you were talking about Samaritans, you were talking about the people of Samaria were like offshoots of something yeah. and they hooked up with these other people. Yeah. So there's a very careful commandment several times through the Torah that tells Jewish people not to marry foreigners. And so the way we understand that now is Jews should marry Jews. But that's not the way they understood it. What they understood was you don't marry foreigners because the foreigners will make our children worship their gods. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just foreigners as a don't marry people different than you, which we just passed. I think June 12th was uh, the case, Supreme Court yeah, case in the United States, with the, and their last name was Loving. It's Loving versus Virginia, and it was the first interracial couple, um, which, uh, which I think is rooted in this idea that people are supposed to marry their own. The problem is race is a social construct. It's not a biblical construct. And the biblical construct is God created human beings in his image, mm-hmm. which if Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, then when we were made in his image, we were made to look like him, which is the reason why we have two eyes and a nose and two ears and a mouth. And the way is because that's his image right? So when it talks about being made in the image of God, there isn't black race, white race, Jewish race, any race, as in we are all different people groups. There's ethnicities, Mm -hmm. which God creates at the Tower of Babel, where he confuses language and creates different culture. 
but it's because there's a there's an order to the story of what God of ultimately God trying to accomplish his purpose, which is to bring all of creation back to himself. In Hebrew, it's called tikkun olam, which is the healing of the world, right? It's not just saving people. God's bringing all of his creation back to himself through people. But the only reason why any Gentile believes in Jesus is because the Jewish disciples did what Jesus told them to do. Go to the nations. Go to the nations. But it actually takes them, Acts 2 is all Jews, Acts 10, which is when Cornelius is the first Gentile to be filled with the Spirit, and Peter preaches to him, is 10 years after Acts 2. And then Acts 15, where they they gather in Jerusalem, it's called the Jerusalem Council, but it's really the second Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts. Um, But in Acts 15, the question is, do Gentiles have to become Jews to be saved? Because their context for 19 years, Acts 15 is nine years after Acts mm-hmm. 10. So it's 19 years after the resurrection. Um, and for 19 years, they weren't sure. But that's also a broader conversation in first century Judaism that they were all a part of as Jews with the question, do Gentiles have to become Jews? And there's two theories Two opinions, which is part of part of the difference between Judaism and Christianity, is Judaism likes multiple things being right at the same time. So you and I can have opposing opinions, and we can both be right. Mm-hmm. And in American Christianity, there's only one way to be right. Mm-hmm. You can be an Orthodox Christian. That means you believe this, this, and this. It's systematic. Judaism's not systematic. It, it's it's um, it, there's certain issues where you can say, well. We can both be right, but totally disagree with each other. So the idea was in the first century that Gentiles who followed the God of Israel either had to be circumcised and immersed in water to become Jews, Mm -hmm. or the minority opinion was all they have to do is be immersed in water, not circumcised, which ultimately is what fleshes out for the disciples is, okay, Gentiles don't become Jews at all, but they should be baptized. If you believe in Jesus, then you're immersed in water, and that immersion is a part of your confession to as a Gentile who worships the God of Israel. So it didn't need to be a two-step process. You didn't first need to be right. a Jew and then sort of convert to Judaism, and then and then from right. Judaism accept right. that Jesus. But the whole idea of conversion to Judaism was a first-century Jewish question, and so the things that are fleshing out in the New Testament are part of a broader. Jewish conversation in all of Judaism that's happening in the first century. Yeah, so when you have it's not the, something new. When you have this idea, back to your thought of uh, that they were told not to marry foreigners. I think right. what's interesting is then when you fast forward, you know, a lot of years, and you get into the American church. How many generations of American church people yeah. use the scripture, "You shall not be unequally yoked," right? As Whites shouldn't marry blacks, right. or blacks shouldn't marry Asians, I mean, or whatever parents. that my may parents be. My parents are Jewish and Catholic, right? Yeah. My mom's Roman, Roman Catholic, Italian, and their their families, you know, the Jewish family wanted a Jew, and the Italian Catholic family wanted an Italian Catholic, because you marry your own. But that whole concept's not biblical yeah. in the sense that your own is someone from the human race mm-hmm. who worships the same God. So, but we created this whole doctrine. 
yeah. it, it within the church culture and yeah. then propagated that into our society, which yeah. came as a, and I, if, if you could see, I'm using air quotes, as a Christian nation right. that instilled these theories of things like that, where you shall right. not be unequally yoked, which then became law, which then became the thing that, you know, caused so much angst and disruption um, among our society. And, and it was all based on this fact that so many of us, not just then, but even now, we live our lives on a surface level in our right. relationship with the Lord, right. which is one of the things that's been so encouraging to me with this current five years, maybe, uh, renaissance back to learning the Jewishness right. of Jesus. Right. And how many pastors, myself included, who are going, well, wait a minute. I've always learned this, 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 and this, but I would, I would dare to say that there is a vast majority of people who have been preachers for decades who had no idea that it's 19 years within yeah. those verses. Yeah. Right. Because we read it like it's chronological and we right. go like this happened within a four week span and and we're going, well, they, they've taken all this time to flesh through these things. Right. And like, I've barely been Meaning practical for 20 like years. Like what's the yeah. practical way that yeah. these things actually play out? Yeah, the context Not just in which the theology, yeah. but right. like how yes. does it really work? Um, and people, pre, you know, I've watched all these last few weeks, watching conversations with all these megachurch pastors trying to flesh out the same conversation. And they always come to, but the Samaritans were looked as down on as another race and there were racial tensions between Jews and Samaritans. But that's not the whole story. The tension between Jews and Samaritans in the first century was the Samaritans did what we're not supposed to do. Mm -hmm. They married Assyrians and worshiped Assyrian gods. Mm -hmm. So the conversation with the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well, when Yeshua goes and sits with her and they have a conversation and he says, well, you worship on the wrong mountain. The mountain that they worship on is Mount Gerizim in Judea and Samaria. And Gerizim is one of two mountains that when Joshua led the, chil the children of Israel into the promised land, there are two mountains, Gerizim and Eval. And we stood on, half the tribe stood on one mountain and half the tribe stood on the other. And from Gerizim, you would say the blessings for keeping the covenant. And from Eval, they would say the curses for not keeping the covenant. But the mountain we worship on is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which is the place that Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, which is why the temple's there. So Yeshua says, well, you worship on the wrong mountain because you worship on Gerizim. And the thing with the Samaritans is they created a, a confused Judaism that worshiped the God of Israel, but also the gods of Assyria. So it wasn't a racial issue as much as it was a religious issue. It wasn't that they mm -hmm. married foreigners. It was that their children became worshipers of other gods, which was the, probably the single most important thing that God said to us. Do not marry into people that will lead you to, their, to the worship of their gods and away from the one true God, the God of Israel, the God who created the heavens and the earth and set you free from Egypt. So put that into today's context, right? right. Like this idea of... How many of us have now looked at people who are different than us mm -hmm. and said that we can't associate with those people? Right. That's not, not true. That's not the context mm -hmm. of it. We, we should associate with people who are different than us because yeah. how else will they see? How else will they know? I mean, when, when John sees the vision of the New Jerusalem in, Romans, in Revelation 7 and he sees a multitude 
of people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. It's a vision, but he can see the difference in the people because otherwise, how does he know? If they're not dressed different, if they're if their skin's not different, if they're not speaking different languages, how could he even see that in a vision? And, and the idea is there's a, there's supposed to be a remnant from Israel who worships the God of Israel in the person of Yeshua. And then there's supposed to be a remnant from every other nation, that there are people from every nation who turn to the God of Israel. Um, and it just took, I mean, this is what's interesting is we, we say the new covenant is better than the old covenant. People seem to forget that the new covenant is 2,000 years old. Like, it's not new anymore, yeah. even if it was new then. And it's actually about the same time period from Abraham to Jesus is 2,000 years. Hmm. From Moses to Jesus is 1,500 years. And then from Jesus to us is 2,000 years. And some people are like, it's taking too long. <laughs> but in the course of how God does things, it typically takes 2,000 years for it to even make sense. Mm-hmm. But like th- this idea of, of connecting with people who aren't like us, which is kind of our problem right now, culturally, yeah. Yeah. We, there's still a remnant of hate yes. in us for people who are other than us. But even, even immediately upon Jesus leaving and giving the Great Commission, his disciples understood that like right away. Right, and it may have taken time, but there was like something in them. I think that That's started what I'm bubbling. They didn't. It took 19 years. Well, I would call that right away, as opposed to the 2,000 years. Yeah, that but we're we talking treat about. it like they instantly understood, and they didn't. And they also the pattern is when he ascends into heaven, and he says, "Now go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." I've heard tons of people preach that, and commentaries talk about it as if it's a pattern. And the pattern is whatever city you're in is Jerusalem. The surrounding area is Judea and Samaria. And then the ends of the earth is everybody else. But that's not actually the pattern Yeshua is using with his disciples. He's saying go to Jews, Jews, half-Jews, and then everybody else. Mm -hmm. That's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Yeshua has interactions with Samaritans, not because he's going to people who are different than him, but he's going to save his own people from the worship of other gods. And we see Paul do that, right? Like I'm learning that like in your series mm-hmm. right now, where we see Paul follow that pattern, right? right. Where he's like, you know. Right, he... for I am unashamed of the gospel for his power to save both to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, right. Right. Romans 1.16. So, Same pattern. Right. Eventually we got to get out there. So, but to get out there means we have to overcome this idea of racism or how somewhere we're better, right? Yeah. That we're that you know we're giving you scraps off our table or something. So, right. what does the Bible say about racism that <clears throat> a typical Christian might not might not know or might might be overlooking or might be ignoring? Right. Well, I think some of that with the Samaritan thing that you're talking about, where we've grouped them in as if they're dogs to get the scraps from our table. Yeah, I heard one preacher, one black preacher said in a conversation recently that that Jesus, and there's some truth to the idea that in the first century, to go from Galilee to Jerusalem, you would go around Judea and Samaria. You wouldn't go through it. It would be quicker to go through it, but they would go around it. Um, And that Samaria is like the ghetto, and Jesus had to go into the ghetto to reach people that were not like him. But that's the part where... it, it falls apart. Mm-hmm. It's not that he was going into the place that nobody wanted to go. He was going to save Jewish people that had started a different religion. 
So the conversations, like the biggest one is the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is not a question of who their who our neighbor mm-hmm. is. Yeah. This is you talked about yeah. this from our conversations yeah. in one of your sermons recently. Who is your neighbor? Right. They when were the, not when the Torah scholar that. asks who is your neighbor, it's so clear in the text because it says in order to justify himself, he asked, who is your neighbor? And you mm-hmm. know as a pastor, I know as a rabbi, you know as a pastor, that people ask ask us questions all the time because they want to sound smart mm-hmm. and they they approach me as like, you might not have thought of this before. <laughs> yeah. Or but, to justify themselves. Like, I love the way that it says that in the right. text. And it's so clear. His question, who is your neighbor? He knows the answer. The answer is everyone is your neighbor. Because you go back to Exodus and, and into the Torah, and it says, when you go into the land that I'm giving you, do not treat foreigners like you were treated in Egypt because mm-hmm. I set you free from Egypt. Do not become oppressors. Right, so it's already laid the foundations laid in terms of back to the covenant with Abraham in Genesis twelve. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you and your children. So Christians typically go, well, that's Jesus, right? Jesus is the way he blessed everybody, but that's too small of a thing. What 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 Jesus is actually saying, and it's evident in the fact that he only preaches to Jewish people in his earthly ministry, is he came for us first. Mm-hmm. And our job as a people is to tell everyone else. So Jesus is not the blessing to all the nations. The Jewish people are the blessing to all the nations because in us and through us, people will hear the gospel. So there's this very old thing, like we were talking about Jewish deicide in the last episode, Jews killed Christ, so they're being judged forever. The same idea is the Jewish people denied Jesus and killed him, and so God had to start over with the Gentiles. But the only reason why the two of you believe in Jesus is because the apostles did what they were told to do. Mm-hmm. You know, Thomas dies in India yeah. preaching the gospel. All the disciples except for John are martyred in different parts of the world because they went to bring the gospel to everyone um, and, and it wasn't that it was new, because when you go back into the Old Testament, you see the nations, the nations, the nations, all the way through the story. But there's a process that God intended in separating the Jewish people out so that the Jewish people, as the ones who are separated, could bring everyone back to God. And somehow in that it became... Well, the Jews screwed it up, so God started over. Yeah, and the, the disciples weren't going out, what I'm hearing you say, is the disciples weren't going out and bringing a new message, like a different right. message. Right. They were bringing that message, right? right? Like it wasn't like, well, we better go get these guys because we need them to bail us out, right? right? We better go in the Gentiles right. because if we don't, then like, we're this stuck. This might be, it's, you can stop me if this is too much, but this is, there's this really cool thing where there's only one prophet in the Old Testament who's called to a non-Jewish nation. And it's Jonah. Hmm. Jonah's sent to the city of Nineveh. I'm and, not going to Nineveh. And Jonah, Jonah's the worst. Yeah. The thing about Jonah is jo- the book of Jonah is set up like a parable because it's, it's called an ironic imperative. Mm-hmm. Everything that happens in the book of Jonah is the opposite of what should happen. 
right? The Jewish prophet is the one who doesn't repent. The king of Nineveh, who's this evil guy, is the one who puts sackcloth and ashes. Like every person in the story, the pagan sailors are the one that respond to God um, and not the Hebrew prophet. And every part of the story is, is, it's supposed to, when the story is told, Jewish people would go, I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's just a ridiculous story. But what's crazy is Jonah left from uh, the point, the, the port of Jaffa um, from Israel. And Peter, in Acts 10, mm-hmm. is sitting on a rooftop. In Jaffa. Meditating, praying, looking at, if you go to where they say Simon the Tanner's house is, and you're able to go on the roof, you see the port of Jaffa mm-hmm. from that roof. And tell them where that so, is now. So Jaffa's Peter is meditating. Well, it's still called tel- Jaffa. It's part, it's part of Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv yeah. yeah. So the reason why Peter understands the vision, he's sitting on a rooftop looking over where Jonah left to go to a Gentile nation. And he has this vision, which all the commentaries say the point of the vision was the end of kosher law. That God brought all these unclean animals, and now Peter understood he could eat anything he wanted. But that's not what it says in the text. What's happening in the text is God uses something that Peter would never do. Mm-hmm. You know, take and eat. I'm not going to do that. Take and eat. I'm not going to do that. Take and eat. I would never eat those things. And then Peter says when he describes what happens after the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius in his house, and in Acts 11, he goes back to the apostles in Jerusalem and says... Um, we thought it was crazy, but the Holy Spirit fell on them just like it did on us at the beginning. So it seems like, and then he says the words, and what I learned was mm-hmm. that God doesn't show favoritism. And Gentiles apparently are not unclean like we thought they were. So the line of thinking was if they eat unclean food, then they themselves are unclean. And if we don't eat unclean, if we only eat clean food, then we stay clean. And that separation is important, but they applied it to all people as being unclean. And then because they're unclean, we don't eat with them. We don't have anything to do with them. And Peter says, when he gets to Cornelius's house, he says, you know that it's against the law for me to even associate with you. But Peter doesn't mean the Torah mm-hmm. against the law. Because there's nothing in the text that says we can't associate with Gentiles. Peter's saying, you know it's against the cultural norm Mm -hmm. for me to eat with you. But I had this weird vision in the same place that Jonah had his vision before he went to the Gentiles. And then a knock happened at my door. And then the Holy Spirit told me to go and preach to you. And then the Holy Spirit fell on you the same way it fell on us. This kind of makes sense to me. But if you don't pay attention even to the geography of the New Testament, mm-hmm. you miss what they were actually experiencing, where Peter had Jonah on his mind while he was sitting there. And it's all – you can when you compare the stories, this guy Robert Wall, who's a professor at um, Seattle Pacific University, I found a random like footnote in a thing. And I saw he was in Seattle, so I emailed him and said, are you still there? And I read this – weird footnote, could you send me the article you wrote in 1987? And he was like, sure. So he sent it to me and he lays out these like six key similarities between Jonah and Peter in Acts 10. Um, And so the whole point was, I heard a guy in college, a pastor came in college and preached a message on Peter was a racist and God fixed his racism. But that's not the story. 
he had some understandings of what God meant by unclean that then they applied to Gentiles as unclean. But because his his response is to fix a sociological understanding that he had, and our sociological understanding that we have to fix is is race isn't real. That doesn't mean that we're not racist. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. we, we can't disconnect ourselves from the society we live in. Can we agree that race is a sin? Totally. Racism I mean, is racism, a sin. Racism, racism, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because it's looking on down on other people as if you're in some way superior. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just, we are all made in the image of God. And we are, if we are all image bearers, then God doesn't, is not like, well, black people are kind of a lesser image. Yeah. Well, but back to what but you said about the thought, the idea that it's not against the law as far as it's not against the Torah, but it's against the cultural law, yeah. and it's against the fact that we're clean because we eat clean, they're unclean because they eat unclean. Yes, I would agree with you that that's a stretch for that speaker to say, Peter was a racist, God cured him of his racism, but I would say that Peter's coming from an angle, from your description, that Peter's coming from an angle of that law was a law of superiority. It says we're superior because we're more holy, we're more pure, we're more clean, we're more connected, whatever that thing may be. And I think that that, that has still been interwoven in every culture yeah. that that you've got. I mean, even get beyond the fact that when people would say, um, I'm not a racist, I have a black friend. I said that on the last episode. But I've talked to so many of my friends in the process of this about here this idea that if I could use air quotes every time I say the word black in this, okay? Yeah. So I grew up in a black neighborhood with all black friends reading black literature, singing black music in a black club in the blackest city in America, Detroit. And yet, even in the midst of everything that's happened here culturally with the George Floyd thing, I thought I understood black culture. But here's what I realized. Even in the midst of everywhere that I grew up, not in, impoverished, in danger, drugs, alcohol, crime, gangs, the whole thing, I still lived my life in white privilege. And here's why. No, I've never had anyone lock their car doors when I walk by. I've never had anyone more firmly grab their bag when I walk by. I've never had anybody walk up to me here in Green Bay and say to me, are you here to be a part of the team? Those are are naive comments, like that team one is a naive comment. And for some people, the locking of the door, the grabbing of the purse, that's like a, that's like a subconscious thing that they do because they associate one thing with another. They're, they're ascribing superiority of themselves over that person. And by by looking at a Scott Eastman and not assuming that you're someone who would snatch their bag, that's a view of superiority. And But when you come back, let's take it out of that and say, some people would say, well, I don't lock my doors when a black guy walks by or I don't grab my bag. But if you're on a plane and a guy gets on the plane with a turban, you start wondering, what am I going to do if this is United 93? Yeah. That's racist. Right. If you, it, like all of those things that we don't think are racism because we don't ascribe them to ourselves, because we view ourselves as superior to those people. And so even throughout our historical 
development as a country. There was a, I mean, the superiority from 1619, yeah. where they brought the original slaves here. And even like, and I'm, I'm going to pass the baton to Rabbi Matt about uh, the, the, the Bible that's in the, the, slave Bible. the Bible History Museum in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah, the Slave Bible is uh, a Bible that was used during the time of slavery where the slave masters took out everything about freedom. And that's the Bible they had their slave preachers preach. That's they preached only from selected passages um, that had nothing to do with freedom. So they would force a black slave preacher to preach only selected parts of the Bible to keep the slaves in slavery. What, you know, and the and most, that's, I mean, the history, right, is people have used the Bible for all kinds of awful things. I mean, we've used, people have used the Bible to, against women, mm-hmm. against homosexuality, against ev- everything. Anything right? we don't agree with. To burn people alive. Anything yeah. that doesn't look like us. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, even yeah. in the, the idea of this slave Bible, I mean, yes, everything that has freedom is taken out, including the entire book of Exodus. Yeah, the whole book. Yeah, how do you have which the is why book I just saw books? on the way here. I, I watched on the plane. I watched the movie Harriet about Harriet Tubman, mm. and that's how it opens. It opens with a black preacher yeah. preaching to slaves, and, and he's preaching out of Colossians. Slaves, listen to your masters. Uh, and, but there's also this. Somehow they still got the story of Moses, mm-hmm. um, and. Like Harriet Tubman was called Moses. That was her nickname um, because she was setting people free. Hmm. Um, And so there is a difference. Like you said in the first episode, you know, it always comes down to white evangelical. But part of the reason it's white versus black is the black church, which is the only reason why there's a black church is because they couldn't be in the white church. Mm-hmm. They didn't choose to start their own churches. Yeah, well, tell them they about the- They weren't allowed not, in white churches. Not to interrupt your thought pattern, but tell them about the, our people who are listening. Tell them about the baptism. Yeah, well, my friend Javon Washington said, in, who's a black pastor in Seattle, was said in a conversation we had recently um, that black people were not allowed to be baptized because if they were baptized, it was a step being in a church registry as a was part of the proof of citizenship. Right, yeah, because that was a thing, right? The baptismal records were so a thing. So they didn't allow them to be baptized because they didn't want them to be citizens because they didn't want them to vote. Right, and be a person. Right. Okay, then ba- right. Okay. Then back up to what you said about this idea of where they're talking to the Gentiles, and they said the Gentiles don't have to become Judaic, but they have to become baptized. Right, they have and to so be immersed in water. And so if you back all the way back, Repent it's, it's people saying... Not only are we not going to allow you to be citizens of America, yeah, we're not going to be allow you. We're not going to allow you to be citizens of heaven either, right? Because because even back then, e- even today, there are denominations that believe if you're not baptized well, in water, so, you can't go to heaven. Yeah. So baptism in Judaism is immersion. Yeah. And immersion is the idea that you fully dunk in water. It's also funny because when you think about John, when John baptized Yeshua, he didn't touch him. He didn't have him fold his arms and hold his nose and dunk him in water. Hmm. Because immersion in Judaism means you immerse yourself hmm. because you're unclean 
and nobody else is going to touch you when you're unclean. Mm. So you, in a mikvah, which is a pool of water, there's two sets of stairs. You walk down the unclean stairs, you immerse yourself in water, and then you walk up the clean stairs. Hmm. So when, when immersion happens in the New Testament, they're immersing themselves. So really John is standing in the river preaching while people are walking in dunking themselves. So he's immersing them because he's the one presiding over the, their immersion. Um, but the temple functioned that way, which is funny because along with kosher laws are purity laws, and these are all a part of the purity laws. The purity laws are there's a certain list of things that make you unclean, and you have to wash yourself in water in order to be made clean before you do clean things, like offer a sacrifice. Um, so in the temple courts on the southern steps, which you can visit now if you go to Jerusalem, on the southern steps are a whole bunch of mikvahs. Hmm. And the mikvahs are there because people would um, immerse themselves in water and then take their sacrifice up the southern steps and up to the temple for sacrifice. Which means in Acts 2, when, when Peter's preaching to Jewish people and he says, be immersed in water for the repentance of sins, it means they actually left the temple courts and went back to the southern wall and dunked themselves in water and then came back. Because that was already they had already done that to offer sacrifices. So people say all the time, the New Testament, Jesus undoes purity laws and purity laws don't matter anymore. But that's not true to the text. The purity laws are put in place for us to understand. I mean, you have to understand what clean and unclean are according to God. The problem is we apply clean and unclean to things that God never applied it to. Mm-hmm. So we say, well, black people are unclean or because Jewish they're black or Jewish yeah. people are unclean because it's old or you know, whatever. And in, you know, there, there's no precedence for that in the text. Mm -hmm. God doesn't ever say that specifically. The biggest problem and the problem that Jesus and Paul argue with the most is they never argue against the Torah. They argue against misapplications Mm -hmm. of commandments or things that men added as commandments and called them commandments, but God never called them commandments. So, which is why we land back in a place, in a Christian nation, I'm using air quotes now, yep. like in a Christian nation where we have this thing where we've applied what we believe the Bible says. Like, and so you know, the word that people are probably tired of hearing it now, but the systemic oppression of yep. a race, yeah. right? Like that's how this goes back 400 yeah. years, right? right? So like from yeah. the start... We've made them less, right? They've, we've treated them as cattle. We've treated mm-hmm. them as, you know, three-fifths of a person. We've treated them as all these different ways that we've minimized who they were. The whole time along, they've been the image of God. Mm-hmm. The whole time. But we've yeah. dehumanized people, and I think that that's... And actually, the three-fifths of a person was actually a win for abolitionists. Yeah. So the idea was black people weren't people at all. Yeah. And the abolitionists were trying... The only reason why they gave black people the three-fifths status was for taxation of slave owners. It was a way to say, well, there's three-fifths of a person, so this is how much tax you pay. Mm. It was not a positive... It was a positive thing for the abolitionists because it was one step towards treating them as people. But the only reason why they they allowed that to happen was because, okay, I mean, we have to be taxed. Like, it didn't have to do with any dignity or decency of treating black people as people. Right. Um, but the dehumanization, here's the like the dehumanization. It's, I mean, not that I'm trying to 
skirt away from the African-American thing or the black thing, but we, I mean, we have placed terms on people that have dehumanized them forever. I mean, think back to whatever term, uh, uh, my wife, Sunny, she did a really interesting cheery conversations with Heaven Daniels, whose husband uh, used to play here for the Packers, uh, Mike Daniels, Mike D. And one of the things that Heaven said is like Sonny said, well, how do you want me to refer to you? Do you want me to refer to you as black? Do you want me to refer to you as African-American? Do you, and, and she had this like beautiful response. She said, and just ask somebody how you want to refer to them as. Right. And so like moving here to Wisconsin, I had very little interaction with any Native Americans. And what I learned when I got here is some Native Americans don't want to be called Native American. And so we just ask them. But the dehumanization that we've had of Native Americans, even going back to the formation of this country, it's this dehumanizing. And it, it didn't stop when, when slavery stopped. We, we've never stopped dehumanizing people. We dehumanize people right now. We're trying to dehumanize George Floyd. That's this huge debate. And it's like with Christians and with, and like, like even locally, like for example, they held uh, George Floyd's funeral, his Minneapolis funeral at North Central University, an assembly of God school in Minneapolis. And my friend and yours, Dr. Scott Hagen, he's the president of right. North Central. And so they gave him a window of time to speak at the funeral. And so he got up and one of the things that he said is they were going to form a George Floyd Memorial Scholarship and the amount of heat yeah. that he took on social media. So, and then he encouraged every college president in America to follow his suit. Now I saw that last week, our own Catholic college, yeah, St. Norbert, Norbert College, founded a George Floyd scholarship. And the amount of venom that was spewed on on their social media because of this. And and the thing that I think is interesting is is that people keep coming back to trying to focus on George Floyd's deeds rather than on George Floyd's humanity, right? Yeah. And the fact, and it's just continually comes back to this thing about his criminal record. And we will find anything we can, any chink in someone's armor, any loophole in someone's past to try to justify our spirit of superiority. Yeah. And I look at a George Floyd and I never, obviously none of us ever knew the man. What I... I love about the Lord is that he looks past the exterior at the condition of the heart. We have no idea what was going on in George Floyd's life leading up to that moment. Right. We have no idea. Okay, he had a criminal record. But like anybody who comes to Life Church knows this. So do I. Yep. And and yet, even though I have a criminal record, if I had been killed the same day that George Floyd had been killed, and they made a Sean Hennessy Memorial Scholarship at North Central or St. Norbert, I, I, I don't think anyone would have taken to social media and said, why would you make a Memorial Scholarship about yeah. him? He has a criminal record. Right. And I don't think that's just because I'm a pastor. I think that's because people have not dehumanized me. Now, throughout time, people have dehumanized my people. Like when we landed in New York, Right. They dehumanized the yeah. Irish. Like it was, this is who you're going to be. They dehumanized the Italians. They dehumanized, I mean, we've been dehumanizing the, the Jewish people 
since there was people. Right. And so like this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring Rabbi Matt because I could have easily had these conversations with a black pastor or, you know, but the reason I wanted this is to say this is a problem that that goes back further than 1619. This is a problem that is rooted not just in our behavior. This is a problem that's rooted in our spirit, yeah. in who we are at the core of who we are. And so if we're going to follow this conversation that Jesus had with this man where Jesus said, well, who is your neighbor? We know who our neighbor is. It's Everybody. everyone, mm-hmm. everyone around us, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And so this idea of who in the world made us better than anybody else, just because of, I I didn't choose to be a Caucasian man any more than Rabbi Matt chose to be a Jewish man or George Floyd chose to be born an African-American guy. So Paul Paul actually sees all this coming in Romans, (laughs) right? So he tells about this, he talks about the olive tree in Romans 11. And the idea is, the way I read it is, the the Jewish people are the natural tree, olive tree, and then there's a wild olive tree, which he refers to as Gentiles. And Gentiles are branches that are, when they believe in Jesus, are taken off the wild tree and are grafted into mm. the natural tree. And he refers to the Jewish people as natural branches. And he says the natural branches, if they don't believe in Yeshua, can be cut off. And they lay there dead on the ground until they're grafted back in. When they're grafted back in, they're grafted in as Jews. And then he says to the two Gentiles, this is like so fascinating in Romans 11. He says, if some of the branches were broken off, this is Romans 11 verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became a partaker of the root of the olive tree and its written and its richness, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. You will say then, but branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough. They were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear. This is verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Hmm. So what happens not too long after Paul even writes this is Gentile Christians do exactly what Paul says not to do, right? He sees it coming, and he says, yes, branches were taken off, like fell off, so that you could be grafted in. But when you're grafted in, don't look at it as, well, they were taken off because of me, so that I could be put in. Because the truth is, if God doesn't spare Jewish people based on us being Jewish, he's not going to spare you either. Because he doesn't base it on who we are, he bases it on who, where you get your uh, nutrients from, mm. which is the root and the fatness of the tree. So um, the issue of replacement theology, which is the idea that the church replaces the Jewish people as the people of God, is, is I think, uh, a part of why racism exists the way it does today. Because I, I did a class on Islam in college, and the, this book we read essentially said the way Muhammad looked at Revelation 
was God gave a revelation to the Jewish people, and they changed the text and ruined it. And so he gave a newer revelation to the Christians, and the Christians changed the text and ruined it. So he gave the last revelation to Muhammad. But that whole line of thinking in the 600s was based on his understanding of Christian theology, which looked at Christians as replacing Jews. If replacement theology didn't exist, Islam wouldn't exist. Hmm. It's the same thing Joseph Smith does when he comes along. People keep coming along saying, well, the, all those revelations were true, but then people ruined them, and so he gave right. me a newer a new revelation. Yeah. But all of that is based on uh, our, it's like a lack of the sovereignty of God, uh, lack of understanding in the sovereignty of God, as if we could screw up what he wants to do. Not actually possible. I'm thinking about what you said, and I feel like that's that's typical of how we handle what's happening right now. Because like when you mentioned the thing about the George Floyd fund or whatever, mm-hmm. and then I think about that funeral right, and like I don't know, someone bought him a nice casket, right? He had it in a yeah. big, you know, chapel, and then and then people took to social media, which is which is our new. I don't know where was the place that Paul would go to talk to people in the middle of a right. So the he, yeah. this, social media is the new place where we're all going to go and yell and have our voices. It's definitely right. our soapbox. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Town and Square. So, right. And so people are going there now, and they're like, "Dude gets a gold casket." Yeah. Yeah. Dude gets a you know, whatever, whatever. Dude gets a memorial fund. What about the policeman that died or not? What about yeah. this guy? What about the, and that, that's like that's our human condition where we look at something that happens to someone and say, "But what about mine?" Yeah. And I feel like that's like at the heart of this. And when you talk about being grafted on and like, well, no, this is my place now, or this is, and it's like, and I feel like that's at the heart of this racism thing where if someone's different than us, then we want to know why we don't have that or why they can't be like us or why can't they, you know, and, and we're, we're more comfortable when they are like us. Like mm-hmm. I think about there's this lady, I should know more about this than I do. And I'm sorry that I don't. She an actress. I don't know. This fair skinned black woman talking about, George Carl Floyd. George Floyd. <laughs> George Carl's the basketball yes, coach. Yes, he is. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Supersonics. Yeah. Right. Anyway, how we've got that all wrong. Yeah. Right? That he was a criminal, conducting a criminal act. And then you know what white people will do? They'll be like, yep, see, right here, here's this black woman telling. And like, we love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we love it because she's fair skinned, but she's a black woman, so I could still have her be on my team. And the fact is, is that there's not teams. Yeah. I mean, we got to stop with the teams. I got to stop walking into the quick trip, like you said, and clutch my pearls or clutch my purse. I don't wear either. But like, I got to stop <laughs> checking my, my pockets to where my phone is, mm-hmm. right? Because I see black people who are dressed like black people. And like, because they're not dressed like me, I don't trust them. Yeah. Well, I'm racist, man. And that happened last week. Right, so I'm not I'm not out burning crosses or yeah. doing anything crazy, but I'm still a racist. Well, somewhere along the line, we've determined that for us to value one person, we have to devalue another. Yeah, and so why why if I'm going to have value, that doesn't mean that anybody else has to have less value. Yeah, it doesn't exist I, in a vacuum. I've I've listened to the people talking about the the George Floyd funeral let's say particularly the one in Minneapolis, and particularly Christian people, because it was held at an Assembly of God school. And they were so pissed off that the Reverend Al Sharpton was speaking at the funeral. And and this this thread of hate language about, here was one that I read, he's not even a real reverend. And I thought, how do you even know? Like, did you, like, 
analyze what his resume is? Did you look at what his education was? And what does, and beyond any of that, what does that give you any right to say anything about that? Like, let's just think about the life that the Reverend Al, no one calls me the Reverend Sean Hennessy. Let's think about the life that the Reverend Al Sharpton has lived, that the Reverend Jesse Jackson, who was at the funeral, who incidentally, humbly sat by and listened to other people speak. The Reverend Jesse Jackson, who's been part of the civil rights movement his whole life. The Reverend Al Sharpton, who shows up at funerals of people that aren't on TV. But what we want to do is we want to look past the garbage in our own lives to pick out the garbage in somebody else's life Whatever it was that Al Sharpton did that offended you, whatever it was that Al Sharpton did that made you think he's not even a real reverend is the very thing that you're overlooking in your own life that doesn't make you a real Christian. Yep, that's it. So nobody ever goes, well, I'm not even a real Christian. Like, can we just admit the fact that everyone has value? Okay, like, I'm a parent, so I have, I have my kids. And to me, my kids are more valuable to me than than they are to you. But that doesn't mean that my kids aren't valuable to you. You don't have to look at my kids and say, well, those aren't my kids. Why would they be valuable to me? Right. Because they're valuable. Because they bring something to the table. And what my kids bring to the table is different than what your kids bring to the table. My kids, the challenges that they have are different than the challenges that yours have, are different than the challenges that Rabbi Matt's kids have, are different than the challenges of the kids who live down on Cherry Street or Doty Street. They're just challenges. I had challenges growing up. My challenges were drugs and violence and and, an environment that wasn't welcoming to me. But guess what? That didn't make me any less valuable now, did I have to fight different battles than somebody else had to fight? But don't minimize the battles that I had to fight because they're different battles than you had right. to fight. Yeah, because you lived your battles 24-7, right? Yeah. And, just, and I can't look at your battles and say, that's nothing. Look at my thing. Yeah. Like, why do we do that? You know, why do, like, and I hate that. I hate that about our nature. Sin. Like it, you know? Sin. It's a it's spirit sin. of superiority yeah. that we have, that we've it's, come back to this idea yeah. of the racism thing being and, superior. And the reason why people are supposed to matter is because they're image bearers mm -hmm. of God. Right. And so, and so this idea of like, and I know there's this whole other political part of Black Lives Matter, but mm -hmm. that, but the, but the words themselves, right? Like, let's forget about like the organization mm -hmm. or the whatever. Let's forget about that for a second. Let's just talk about Black Lives Matter. And so like people that get mad, they say, well, don't all lives, well, of course all lives matter. Like, right. don't say a ridiculous thing like that. But like, like right now, like that's the thing that's on fire. Mm -hmm. And like you were talking about Paul's letters, and I feel like in Paul's letter to somebody, Galatians, Corinthians, somebody, I don't know, somewhere somebody. he talked about... Paul like somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we talked about, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Yeah. Peace, love, goodness, kindness, yeah. gentleness, brother. Galatians, before Galatians that, 5, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and so before that, though, like just before that, he talks about like what the fruit of the flesh is like, meaning right. like the, yeah. the downside of the flesh. And there's all sorts of the drunken orgies and all that other stuff. But in there, of course, right. is Jealousy, enmity. envy, strife, right. division. Yeah. Quit picking fights. Mm -hmm. And so like... Orgas uh, uh, nope. Orgies and the yeah. like. Yes. Watch not your mouth. Yeah, I, those, are, those are those are of God. Yeah, but... Anyway. Uh, 
the <laughs> orgies and the like, which yes. is my yeah. favorite thing. And at, not like. orgies. Yeah. And the like. Yeah. Uh, it's such a way to just throw it all in. Right. And, and like. you know, you know, whatever you know else that. is like, you know, you the stuff you've to. Yeah. 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 So my, so when I think about enmity, I think about like these people are like on Al Sharpton. I, like I don't know Al Sharpton. I've never met Al Sharpton. I've, I suspect that the people that are complaining about Al Sharpton, they don't remember me either. Right? Let's just say his whole life is not clean. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But mine either. Right. Or yours either. Come on. And the rest of my life going forward is not going to be clean. But what I know about Al Sharpton is what talk radio tells me about Al Sharpton. Mm -hmm. And so I got to stop letting talk radio. Depends which one. Yeah, right. To be sure. If it's conservative or liberal. Right. Right. And I got to stop. I got to stop looking at either of those things to inform me. Well, and ultimately, that's our. What my friend Javon said the same black pastor in Seattle in our discussion was there's this. um, nationalism of America that is entirely tied to Christianity in America. Yeah, I love that. And the nationalism somehow being American, it's an unfortunate word at the moment, but Trump's uh, Americanism trumps everything else. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's, Wait, stop. it's not. We're going to talk that about that next. That's actually the very next question on the list is, does American Christianity have a problem with nationalism? Has Western Christianity whitewashed, an unfortunate term, whitewashed the truth? I just, the truth and the heritage of faith in Scripture. So we're going to talk about that next time because I think we went long this time because I lost track of the time. I don't even know how long we've been talking this time. So we'll catch up with you on that next episode of uh, a pastor and a rabbi walk into a cultural crisis on uh, the next time. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with somebody. If you think that, oh my gosh, someone should hear this, please share that with them. And you can also subscribe to these podcasts as well. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks.